Hey guys, thanks for checking out today's message. We are so glad that you joined us. We consider resources like this one to be supplemental. So if you do not have a church home and you live in the greater Savannah area, we would love to invite you to one of our locations. If you're blessed by today's message and would like to invest into the life and the ministry of City Church, you can do so by visiting our website, citychurch.life, and clicking Give. Our hope is that you'll be blessed and encouraged as we dive into today's message. We're diving into a new series that we have titled Loneliness, Lust, Love, and Taxes. And so we're going to be in the month of February and we're going to be talking about what it looks like to be in and out of relationships. So loneliness, lust, love, and taxes. Yesterday I was uh, talking with Robert about this and we were talking over text message and uh, anybody use voice to text sometimes, right? So I've been a big fan of voice to text for many, many years and when I was using voice to text yesterday, it translated it into lonely, lost love in Texas. And I told him it turned it into a country song, like instantly. Uh, And we were both laughing about that. So loneliness, lust, love, and taxes. We're going to begin this series today in the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 12. Let's look here at verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I think it's worth noting here that the writer of Hebrews is is being a little bit real in this beginning of this conversation about the fact that 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 there is a race to be run but even though we have put on the shoes and even though we are in the race even though we are running there is also sin that is just constantly a part of our lives. Verse two, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. And so I want to pause here on this thought for just a moment of what it looks like to be faint hearted. So uh, we teach out of the ESV uh, for the majority of what we teach here at City Church. Um, The main reason we do that is because it's a translation that every year is being revisited by scholars. They're constantly trying to evaluate uh, the text to make sure that they are using the most current uh, and widely accepted original documents that are out there. Uh, But occasionally, uh, it it helps to look at different translations to kind of get perspective on what might what might be being said here. So I want to look at American Standard Version here. Verse 3 says, For consider him that have endured such gainsaying of sinners against himself, that ye wax not weary, fainting in your souls. And so we move from this idea of faint-hearted to fainting in your souls. And if we just go to King James, it says, For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. And faint in your minds. So, so today, this idea of loneliness at the beginning of our series, uh, we're calling it patience in loneliness. Patience in loneliness. Uh, it's okay to be alone. It's important to find patience when you are by yourself. So this might be speaking to you as somebody who is single. You're not married right now. You're not in a relationship. 
it could be that you are in a relationship, you could be married and you aren't comfortable or effective at being by yourself or even being who you are. Uh, so this idea of fainting, has anybody in here ever fainted before? Anybody be honest and say that they've fainted before? I, I have fainted before. Uh, I do not do well with needles. I had uh, to, uh, I have I have had the opportunity to give blood and every time that I have taken the opportunity to give blood, I have passed out. I am not their favorite blood donor for that reason. Uh, and then when uh, Zoe, my, my third child, was in the hospital after he was born, uh, they, needed, uh, uh, they needed blood, they needed plasma. And so I would go and as often as they would allow me to, I would donate. And I just, that taste of metal that gets in your mouth when they're pumping the blood back into you after they've pulled out what they need. Anybody in here feeling what I'm feeling right now? I can't handle it, right? Now, give me a war movie where stuff's just blowing up and I'm on the edge of my seat screaming, yes, but put me in a room where they have to shave a little bit of my toenail off and I'm like completely gone, it's over, right? Uh, so I, I fully understand fainting. In fact, the first time I ever saw anybody faint was actually my sister. Uh, she was in a wedding. We were kids and she was the flower girl. And so she brought the flowers out and she was standing up there. And I don't know if you know this or not, but if you lock your knees back and don't bend them for long enough, you'll pass out. And uh, this is not the new challenge though. I don't need you going on YouTube and doing the knee lock challenge and see who can do it the longest, right? I can just see that happening right now. YouTube, I am not responsible for this, but uh, she did that. She did not know. And I remember in the middle of uh, this poor girl's wedding, she just, my sister just falls over. And, uh, and it was, you know, I, I guess just a combination of things, but she had locked her knees back and she had passed out. So, but we all get the idea of what it looks like to faint, right? The idea of physically moving from being conscious to unconscious. And anybody who has fainted, who has blacked out, they will tell you that everything just kind of happened. It wasn't like they were sitting there and made this conscious decision. You know what? I'm done. I'm fainting. Whew. And they turned it over, right? Uh, uh, that would be a really special ability. I would have used that many times in school throughout the years, right? If I had had that capacity. But we don't have that capacity. And when we come to Oftentimes, people are going, what happened? All I remember is, right? But this isn't the idea of just fainting. If we get really specific here, uh, it's fainting in the mind, right? So, so we look at the different translations, and, and it's like this picture of something that, of, of, a, of a fainting that happens inside of us. So the writer here, writing in, in these little passages about running the race, gives this kind of cautionary uh, advice to be, we should be careful or else we could faint internally. And, and this isn't connected to the physical. There's no like, like, like you'll faint uh, in your mind and you'll also physically be gone. No, I think instead we can actually see a picture of how the body can continue to operate even when the mind has fainted. So I wanna take a little bit of time and, and dive into this idea today. So uh, if we go back to verse one, uh, the verse one begins with this word, therefore. And if you've spent any time in church, you've heard many pastors say, Anytime you see therefore, you should ask the question, what's it there for? And so uh, this is verse one of chapter 12, right? And so following the advice of many pastors before me, I thought, hey, why is this therefore? What is this therefore, therefore? 
Anyway, go back to verse, I mean, to chapter 11 and listen to what the writer begins with. So this thought begins in verse one of chapter 11. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, okay? So, so before we can run the race, there's something about this foundation of faith that the writer is laying out here and gives us really this, uh, uh, we talk about, we use the language defining the terms, right? So we need to make sure we understand what faith is if we're gonna dive into this idea of faith. And so the writer just goes ahead and and nails this down for us, gives us uh, very little room to kind of wiggle around in that it is the assurance of things hoped for. So it's not like a hope that might happen. Like I hope that one day I get to do this type of thing. It's a hope that is assured inside of us, the conviction of things that have not been seen, things that I can't physically see right here, right now. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. So, so uh, the writer says that this faith of believing in something that you cannot physically see is something that people of old did and they were commended for it. Goes on here in verse three, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And then he goes on in the writing and begins to talk about the faith of some people that by faith, Abel's uh, uh, offering was, was more pleasing to God than his brothers. And so I just wanna take a moment here and, and go through a few of these and, and maybe why it is that these are listed because when we start getting down in a few more verses, the writer's gonna just pause and just start throwing names out, just name dropping and going, there's too many people for me to be able to do this, but there are a few I wanted to cover. So here they are. Abel is the one who's bringing a sacrifice that God finds pleasing. Maybe that's because God isn't impressed with, how much you give, but the heart behind why you give, right? And so uh, uh, maybe you're not at the capacity of being able to write big checks to fund big things, but instead all you've got right now is the ability to, to just give a little. And yet the scripture gives us some insight that sometimes when, when we're giving, it's not the quantity, but it's the heart behind it. It's the conviction uh, with which you are actually making sacrifice. And goes on and talks about this by faith Enoch, right? Enoch is walking with the Lord and then he is no more. Can, can, can I tell you that, that Enoch loved the Lord with all of his heart. He loved him. He spent time with him. He's walking with him and then he is no more. Can, can I tell you that probably the reason that this one is here is as an encouragement to us that you might be in a place in your life where you need to be saved, where you need to be rescued, where you need to no longer be there and your next step if you're walking with God might be the step that helps you get to that place don't be discouraged but be encouraged that as we walk with God God is faithful to get us to the next place or by faith Abraham right Abraham is is a man who who goes out and has a call on God, uh, a call from God to go and uh, into a new land and to wait that God's going to bring forth uh, a, a, a child, right? And, and Abraham gets out there and what does Abraham do? He begins to, to take things into his own hands. He begins to be the one who's, who, who's trying to, to, to make things happen. He's taking the word of God and he's trying to 
fit it into these little areas of his life. And so God says, look, here's my prophecy, and it's shaped like a triangle, and, and Abraham's down here looking at nothing but square holes, and so he's just trying the best he can to force this triangle into square holes, and, and, and yet God is faithful and consistent and ultimately does bring him a son, right? And, and I love this next one because it's by faith Sarah, and, and, and these tie together, and I love how it describes Abraham because it, it talks about him being old and, you know, like uh, almost worthless, right? Abraham had just such little value when it came to having a child, and yet Sarah, uh, by faith, was able to conceive and bear a son, and, 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 and even in her old age, in a, in a time where it just seemed like this was beyond her, it could not happen. And maybe that's there to be an encouragement to somebody that God hasn't forgotten you, that God hears your prayers, and that if God has said it, if God has revealed it, that, that he'll do it, that he'll show up and it'll be in his time, right? And then we come to verse 14, it says, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. And talking about uh, this idea uh, is that these are people who are talking about faith, who are talking about purpose in their lives. And, and then it says that these are people who are seeking a homeland, a place that they can call home. And I, I wanna tell you that when I meet people who want to talk about eternity and they wanna talk about purpose in their lives and they wanna talk about what God is calling them to do and they wanna talk about the faith that they have, I find that to be inspiring. And inspiration is so important in awakening that sleeping giant in the hearts of other people. You see, if it weren't for people who were talking about that homeland, who were talking about their own purpose and their own, own calling, it wouldn't have woken that thing up inside of me that led me to the place where I am today. It's a combination of a mom and dad who loved the Lord and a youth pastor who was in pursuit of Jesus and calling things out and a church that surrounded young people and encouraged them. It was about being around people who were willing to have the conversation that, that I believe God has called me to do more and to be more than just uh, surviving and existing in this world around me. It becomes something that encourages us. It inspires each of us. It goes on and then in, in this chapter, it says that then every one of them though has died, right? So these people, these giants of the faith, these heroes of the faith, that they all saw some really amazing things take place, but that they died. And now, now here's the important thing that, that I want to connect you with as we just kind of transition in this thought here is, is that each and every one of them died, right? And this is what the scripture says. It says, and then they were set as what? The witnesses for who? For us. And so they still have purpose. They still have a, a, a reason that they exist. And that reason is to be a witness to what's happening in your life. And so when we go back to this, this passage and it says that we are beset, we have such a great cloud of witnesses, so many that have come before us that we can't, we just don't have time to sit down and talk about every single one of them. We've hit some highlights, we've named some names, but you need to understand something that there are people who are watching you right now and they're cheering you on. 
I was thinking about today being Super Bowl Sunday. Anybody going to watch the game tonight? Right? We got some, some, some football fans in here. I, I'm, gonna, I'm not a fan, but I've got a friend who has a commercial that he made that's going to be on the Super Bowl tonight. So I'm watching. His name is Simon. Where's he at? Where's my boy? Right here. Little name drop right there myself. The writer of Hebrews can name drop. I can name drop. I know him. He was nominated for an Emmy uh, last year. Uh, and so very talented young man. And so I will be watching uh, the Super Bowl. Uh, it will be on in the background until that commercial on comes on. And then I will be full on watching. Because um, here's the good news about the Super Bowl. I can find out who wins after the game. And so I can talk the talk and I can have fun with you guys without having to sit there and watch the, without getting to sit there. I'm, I'm gonna stop now. So, but the game happens tonight, right? And can I tell you something? Imagine for a moment the Super Bowl taking place in an empty stadium. What would that be like? Now, I, I'm not gonna lie to you. You probably don't know this about me, but I really don't get into a lot of sports, all right? I don't watch a lot of them, but I will tell you that while I do not find it to be as amusing and fun and enjoyable in my living room watching it on a TV, I will tell you that going to a game and watching it in a stadium in a live environment, that's pretty awesome. And uh, being in a place where everybody's cheering and screaming and yelling and doing the wave and you're just, I don't know, every time I go, I'm like, who's gonna start the wave? Like somebody's got to get this thing going. And when they do, I'm engaged. It's like why I exist for a moment. <laughs> There's just something that happens, right? When everybody is cheering, when everybody is screaming, it's exciting. And the picture that we have is that we are running a race and that God is stacking the stadium. He's packing stadiums out for us. And so many times, like in life, we just, we just get alone and we just get into our own headspace and we just forget that there's anybody that's rooting for us, believing in us, or maybe even depending on us. Because maybe at some point in your life, you had an interaction with God where you felt like, you know what? I think maybe God's calling me to this. Maybe, maybe God is purposing this inside of me. And, and then you lost the excitement of that moment and you never stepped into your destiny. You never fulfilled that thing that God called you to. Come on, I know so many people that this is their story. Yeah, man, I grew up in a great church and in a youth group and I had this moment or, or even a better story is, man, I grew up and it was rough and everything was tough and I was, it was violence and drugs and then I had an encounter with God and he told me uh, it's gonna be like this. And, and, then I, and, and then today though, I'm just in this place of like, I'm working, yeah. I'm hoping to save enough money to buy you know, a boat or a guitar or a video game, something go to a game, like, yes, it's life, it's whatever. And all of a sudden the excitement and the fire is out of you. And it's because we just kinda, these people just get lost in their purpose and their passion because they have fainted internally. They've been running the race and then all of a sudden their mind has just lost it. 
and physically they're still going through the motions. A lot of them showing up at church, going to a Bible study occasionally, being able to have an intelligent conversation with another believer at work about, you know, something that we read in scripture or, you know, a podcast that we listened to, but really like there's nothing driving them anymore. And, and, and God is, is, is at work trying to, 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 to give us some encouragement. And so as people have died, as they have transitioned from this life into eternity, the scripture says that he is very specifically taking them and positioning them to be your cheerleaders, to be your witnesses, to be the ones that are cheering you on. They're surrounding you. And, and, I, and I think that, like, for me, the thing that's encouraging is, is that as I think, think about this, and this is what was going through my mind last night, was that this isn't just, you know, yeah, I think it's exciting that, that you know, Moses is uh, in the stands cheering. But, but for me, like, like, like my grandmother who loved Jesus, you know, like, like she's there. She's a witness. I know that, you know. I know the life that she lived. I know the faith that she had. And all the people that have, have physically touched me in my life, that have been a part of my life, that have gone on and gone before me, are positioned in a way to continue to cheer me on. And while everybody else is yelling, you know, go Jim, you know, she's, she's, she's yelling, go Jim Bob. Isn't that bad? That's what she called me. My name's James Robert. It's okay. I'll, I'll survive. You can start calling me that now. Uh, that's what she's screaming. And, and if I heard her voice yelling that, like that would be an encouragement. If I heard you yelling that, I would be offended, you know, but, but she's screaming these things. And these are these witnesses that are surrounding us. It's really powerful, but too many of us are, are losing our, our way. We're fainting in the process. And I think that fainting is tied to timing, Right? And, and I just, I, maybe, maybe it's the same for, for women. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share this from a, from a guy perspective. And, and I'm going to trust that, ladies, that you're going to be able to kind of connect to this uh, uh, maybe a little bit in your own way. But I am constantly inundated with young men who have a call in their lives who will tell you that God's called me. I know I have a purpose. I know I have a destiny. And they are filled with impatience. And they say things like, you know, it's been six months, Jim. It's been six months since God said that. I'm tired of just sitting here. Or it's been 10 months. Or it's been 14 months. All of my years in ministry, this is the one most consistent thing I get from people who have a call in their lives is that it's not happening fast enough. I don't know what's supposed to happen tomorrow. Why isn't it happening now? If God, is, if God has got so much for me, then why haven't I crossed the finish line and stepped into this, into this responsibility and... and and so what happens is that they end up in a place where internally they faint. And I have watched some people with insane calls on their lives. Some young men who, who God is still to this day wanting to use that they have just given up. 
They still go to church probably. They can still jump into a good dialogue on some Facebook page to talk about doctrine, but, but they're not in pursuit anymore where their passion might have at one point been missions or uh, 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 being on staff at a church or moving into a neighborhood and loving on the people. Now it's just trying to find a job to pay the bills and just keep moving on. And we just, we just have a culture of fainting in the mind. We have a culture that, that, that just is not okay with running the race and being by ourselves sometimes. And because we can't even see the finish line at certain moments, we just give up. And it was because these individuals who were mentioned there in Hebrews 11 lived with faith that if God had called it, if God had said it, if God was in it, it was gonna happen. And they kept pressing on. Even Abraham who made a mess out of everything. Like, like if anybody had an excuse, right? To get onto the other side and go, okay, I screwed this whole thing up. God will never do what he said he was gonna do. Can, can, I, can I, I just want to paint a little picture for you. And this is, I think, applicable. You know, he was looking for a son and his wife comes to him and says, you know what? I am barren. Why don't you sleep with my handmaiden? And so he does this and she becomes pregnant and God has to show up and go, you, you understand Ishmael's not the one I promised. Like what you've done, you've taken things into your own hand. This isn't what I said. And, and, and this is what happens to us is we take that moment where we hear that thing and we go, oh man, I screwed it all up. And we go, well, I guess I gotta figure this whole thing out. And God goes, no, 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 no. My promises are yes and amen. I told you I was gonna do it. I'm still gonna do it. You've made a mess out of things, but I haven't forgotten you. I haven't forsaken you. You've, yeah, this is a mess. We're gonna be figuring this thing out for a couple of thousand years, okay? All right, we're, we're, we're gonna be at work with it though because I love people, right? But I still have a plan for you. Do you, do, you know, do you know that? Do you know that like right at that moment that you can become aware that you have fainted internally, that you can take, what do you call that little thing? They snap, and it's, is it just ammonia, right? Something, you know, when you passed out and they come and they put that thing in front of you, Smell, sm, sm, smelling salt, smelling salt. Somebody could have come up with a better name than that, right? <laughs> smelling salt, and they put that thing at your nose, it wakes you up. Some of us just need a spiritual spirit smelling salts. Say that three times in a row. A spiritual smelling salt. Boom. It's a spiritual thing to wake you up. And then when you wake up and you go, oh, how did I get here? You're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses who go, God didn't give up on me. He's not giving up on you. God kept working in my life. He's going to keep working in your life. Get up. And you have to stand up and you have to start walking. And I'm gonna tell you the truth is when you wake up from fainting, you don't move as fast as you do later. So you might look drunk and people might be like, what is wrong with this guy, this girl? What's wrong with that person? And you just gotta keep moving 
and stumbling and falling. And, and when they think that you're, you're, just bump, you're just using the witnesses as bumper guards as you walk down the aisle. My mom and dad, um, I, I, I love my mom and dad, if they're watching, love you. Um, uh, they wanted me to be engaged in some athletics. And so they put me on the swim team and, uh, you know, go sports. Uh, and I remember uh, being <laughs> at a swim competition and I remember, man, I was swimming as hard as I could swim. And I got to the end and I came up out of the water and the little things you dove off of, the diving blocks, I guess, they all had other swimmers on them. I had taken so long that they had gone ahead and kind of positioned everybody for the next one. And I heard a lady go, look at that. They let that kid finish. Way to go. And she started clapping. <laughs> Way to go. You did so good. And of course, I was embarrassed and I got out, right? You know, because uh, I, that was what I did. And, uh, you know, next came the backstroke. <laughs> it wasn't over, right, in my life. <laughs> They didn't make me do it more than one season, though, so thank you. Uh, I love you for that. So, so, so sometimes as parents, we push our kids to do things that are uncomfortable. Swim team and Speedos were uncomfortable for me. And so, so, but I get to the end, and everybody's like, hey, look at this kid. He did it, right? And, 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 and there's no real accomplishment there. But in our lives, like when we can, if we can press on, what we attain is victory, and yeah, it, it might be six months or 10 months or 14 months. Just don't be one of the ones that gives up. Can I tell you something? When you come to me and say, listen to me, when you come to me and you say, man, I really feel like God is saying this to me. Can, can I tell you, that fires me up. That's awesome. But when people come to me and say, I feel like God's saying this, and then six months later, they're doing something totally different, right? Like, what, what, do you, what do you think that does to the world around you? Confusion. Hold on, God, God's been telling you this for a year? God's been telling you this for three years? And, and then you met somebody, and all of a sudden, it's a little bit different? God is not the author of confusion, God's not up there going, oh, I just didn't see the two of them getting together. That messes everything up. <laughs> we have to rewrite all this stuff. Guys, just go play for a little while while I work on some recoding here to fix this dilemma. <laughs> and then the good news is, is that, that God can even write that person in. But he's faithful. And you're the one that's supposed to be in relationship with him. You're the one that's supposed to be finding and discovering purpose and then running in it for 16 months. But instead, marriages fail. Parents abandon their kids. Businesses close. Oh, but God was in this thing until he wasn't. Right? I had somebody been married three years tell me, don't you think God wants me to be happy? Three years? Three years? And like that, it's all figured out in three years of marriage? Are you crazy? I straight up told him, no, God doesn't want you to be happy. God wants you to be faithful. Then you'll find happiness. 
God's not bringing you happiness so you can have a little That stuff makes me mad. It makes me mad when somebody wants to sit here and enter into covenant and talk about what God's doing, but then it's uncomfortable a little bit later and they're like, well, I don't think God was really in this. Well, then I don't think you know what you're talking about. God wants what's best for us. God has a eternal plan for us. And his plan begins with you, not with us. It begins with me, not with we. That's my rhyme right there for the week. (laughs) So when our minds faint, we lose sight on God. And then people begin to backtrack and their faith becomes questionable. And all along, God is packing stadiums. He's filling them up. How many witnesses do you think that are sitting there cheering us on or cheering, us, or cheering people on who are just not putting forth all the effort? A few years, well, it's been more than a few years, probably about 10 years ago, I, I, went to, uh, I flew to Oakland with my father-in-law and some other men, and we went to watch the Oakland Raiders play the Kansas City Chiefs. My father-in-law is like a Kansas City Chiefs fan, and evidently that's a big rivalry. And I've, I've said this before, but th- these Raiders fans, uh, whenever one of the Raiders would drop the ball or make a bad play, it, they would threaten to kill the player. This was weird for me. Like normally I'm in a stadium and you're cheering people on and in here it's like reverse. It's like, you drop the ball again and I'll climb down there and I'll cut you open, boy. <laughs> like I'm glad they, you know what those players down there were hearing? They were hearing, Aah! that's all they heard, you know? But up there where we were at, we were like, this is crazy. Like these fans are not fans. Like if you're a Raiders fan, we will have a special prayer and service for you afterwards in the back, right? We have a special room for that type of thing. These people, were, these people were crazy. They were crazy in the way that they even talked to the people that they were supposed to be there supporting. Like, like, we don't need to be filled or surrounded with that type of, of, of cheer squad. And that's not what God's doing. God's bringing in the people who are filled with faith and have walked it out to be an encouragement to us. Think about Moses for a moment. 80 years old, 80 years old, knowing that he has a call in his life. He screwed it up at age 40. He took it into his own hands and and he just gave up, right? Fainted in the mind, went out and just took care of sheep. Walking a little herd of sheep by one day and he sees a bush that won't stop burning and God says, it's time to get up, boy. It's time to get up. Moses is like, I'm 80 years old. I have a stuttering problem. And he says, good, I'm sending you to go and look the Pharaoh in the eye and tell him to let my people go. Moses is like, have you, do you know the Pharaoh? I don't know if you're familiar with this situation. Can I tell you, can I just tell you, like it might be that you are 80 years old before you walk into the fullness of all that God has promised you for this life. But if God said it, then God meant it. And in our discouragement, we cannot faint. I'm gonna close with this. Two reasons you're still running. 
two reasons that you're still running. The first one's really simple. God's not ready. God's called, he's made you, created you. You you have a calling and a purpose in your life. You are uniquely, wonderfully made. Psalm 139, it's all true, but it's not for 2019, it's for 2060. So just keep running. Just keep running. He's gonna use all of this time to season you and prepare you and make you ready because when that day comes, you will be the only person that can fill the shoes. But right now you're running because God's not, you're running because God's not ready. And then the second one is you're running because you're not ready. Because you aren't prepared. The thing that God would have for you right now, the the purpose and the, the plan for your life, it's here, it's now, and you're running in this race and you're getting faint, but you just can't handle it. You ever heard this phrase? We like to come up with good phrases in church. God will never put more on you than you can bear, right? Anybody ever heard that before, right? Come on, amen. It's time to preach it, brother. That's what I'm talking about. Somebody's walking through a struggle. Everything's difficult. Oh, just remember, he's got you. He brought you through this struggle. He'll never put you in a place you can't handle. And, 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 And we church... We church folk, we can get that, right? We can get excited about that. I've seen some people in my day get excited. Like, I'm walking through hell right now. The fire is hot, but God's made me so I can handle it. They start dancing and running. Get excited, right? Do you ever consider that maybe God isn't blessing you because you can't handle it? that the blessing of God can come with tremendous responsibility. I mean, I think Spider-Man's uncle said it best, with great power comes great responsibility. Super Bowl Sunday, but we still have Spider-Man in the house, right? We might even get a Spider-Man commercial during the Super Bowl tonight. With great power comes great responsibility. God wants to bring blessing into your life, but, but you're not ready for it. My success is contingent on my sacrifice. My success is contingent on my sacrifice. Oh man, Pastor Jim, God's called me to be a worship leader. I know it. I know that he has. Dylan, did you know I could take your guitar right now and I could play three chords on it? I'm not going to. I don't want to embarrass you right now. But I want to tell you something. These guys right here on their instruments, they're wizards. The way that they play and the way that they handle those things. Dylan, if you had to guess, how many hours of practice have you put into your guitar in your life? Sunday morning, the only time you play? 
go and serve other people and help them with their bands and play behind them. Yeah. I want to tell you something. Dylan does what he does because he puts sacrifice into what he does. And you have a call on your life, a purpose and a plan to do great things for the kingdom, but it does not happen like it does in the movies. You're not gonna have some creepy old man show up and tell you that if you say Shazam, you're gonna be good to go. Or a radioactive spider bite you and then all of a sudden now you can preach the gospel. You understand that in order to preach the gospel, you gotta know the gospel. Why would you get out there and talk about having a call in your life to, to, to spread the good news and you don't, you don't you've never even read it? So maybe the reason that you're running right now is because, yeah, God says, I've called you. I've got a plan for you. I promise you there's these great things in front of you, but you've got to do more than sit on the sidelines, buddy. I'm not teleporting you into this place. It's called a race for a reason. It's called a race for a reason. Let's stand to our feet. God's calling is more exciting than man's success. When I hear somebody come to me and and they talk about, you know, what God's calling them to do, it's exciting. When somebody calls, calls me up and says, man, I feel like I'm called to the mission field. That's exciting. When somebody calls me up and says, listen, I feel like God's called me be an attorney. That's exciting. God's called me to be a doctor. That's exciting. God's called me. God's opened the door for me to be in cells. That's exciting. Because if God's in it and God's at work, then I know some good things are going to happen. I want to be a part of running the race that gets me to the place where I get to be a witness and encourage somebody else. God's calling is more fulfilling than man's success. It's more inspirational than man's success. But at the end of the day, better requires different. Well, this was really interesting. I was listening to this professor at MIT, Amar Bose, the guy who made the headphones. And uh, people were uh, giving him a hard time, audiophiles, people who were like really into their speakers. And uh, they were saying, oh, these these are not as good as these and blah, blah, blah. And he was just giving a really great lecture on this idea. And he says, listen, I looked at what everybody else was making and what everybody else was doing is they were just making these little bitty tweaks. And really all that was all that exists is the exact same thing and that's why there isn't a better product on the market. And he said that in order for it to be better it just cannot be the same. And he said so I just took what they did and threw it to the side and I started all over and just made something completely different. And if you go and you cut open a Bose speaker and you do 
that at your own expense, you will find that the guts inside of it are radically different than the conventional form of doing speakers. They make their stuff different and they, you know, like in their subwoofers, they create little chases for the sound to move through. And, and yeah, does it sound the same as everybody else's? No, it doesn't sound the same. And will somebody go, well, that doesn't sound the way I like? Yeah, absolutely. But 30% of the market is what they owned in the 90s and the early 2000s. 30%. All because better requires different. Can I tell you, if you want to be in a better place than you are now, it requires you to do something different than what you've been doing. You can't keep running the race and just giving up because it's so difficult and slugging along and then whining and complaining the whole time and expect to step into greatness in the kingdom of heaven. I have to tell you guys something funny. Last night, we took, uh, me and Isaac took Zoe and Ezra to the mall and we, we forgot Zoe's walker in his wheelchair and we got there and we just had this debate. Do we just go back home? No, we're going to do this. We don't want to carry him the whole time. So we were like, Zoe, you have to walk. And so I held one hand, Isaac held one hand and we went walking to the mall and we walked to all the good stores that were in there. We had a good time. That's what they wanted to do. And we walked all the way back out to the car, right? And we got out there and I said, Zoe, I got to brag on you for a minute. He got real quiet. Okay. Everybody likes to be bragged on. I said, I want to tell you, you walked through that entire mall without complaining one time. You didn't have a single complaint. I'm blown away. But dad, my legs hurt. I said, literally, your response to me when I brag on you for not complaining is to complain. And he got real quiet. He said, nope. Better requires different. If you're going to step up to excellence, you need to learn how to do it on your own. Can I tell you something? Your marriage isn't going to be better until you're different. Your job isn't going to be better until you're different. Your ministry opportunities in life won't be better until you're different. God's calling us to greatness, but we've got to learn how to be patient and wait. I want to pray for you. Father, thank you for your grace and your faithfulness. You are good. Your promises are yes and amen. Your consistency is mind-blowing in a world that cannot keep it straight you do and thank you for that through the ages always being the same God the same example with the same message of truth oh let us be encouraged today to pick up the ambition and the cause and the purpose and the fervor that you once called us to and begin to put one foot in front of the other and begin to run the race whether it's for six months or 80 years give us the tenacity and the encouragement that's needed to get to the place where we step into all that you have promised we love you and we praise you 
thank you. In your mighty name, amen.